Hey guys, I am so um, pumped uh, for tonight. I was thinking about something uh, as I was watching the Bears hire their new head coach. And uh, the new head coach, and if you don't know, I'm a huge Chicago Bears fan. Their new head coach, uh, they were doing this interview, this introduction, and they were asking, well, how do you plan to do this? And how do you plan to do that? And they kind of want to understand his philosophy on everything. And he gave a lot of what they call coach speak, which are these like common mantras that a lot of coaches say that some people just kind of roll their eyes at. But he said this one line that really began to trigger thought process for me. Every now and then for pastors, uh, there's this thing we feel like when we're like out in the world just watching a movie or talking to people or, and a phrase is said, there's this thing in our spirit that goes, that'll preach. That's a sermon right there. And then, you know, you pray and you ask God to give you some revelation in that and you build on it. Well, I'm listening to this coach talk and he said this phrase where instantly I said, bro, that is a sermon. And he talked about the importance of turning hope into habits. I titled this message Turning Hope into Habits because I think it's so important to understand that hope in and of itself is not going to be enough, Right? Now, I'm not talking about hope in God. That's always enough. I'm talking about the kind of hope that you and I mostly associate with that word, which really boils down to uh, wishful thinking, crossing your fingers, hoping something happens. And a lot of times we, we think, well, because I have hope that things should happen, but hope's not enough. See, there was a lot of people at the beginning of this year, right, the beginning of January, they, they hoped that they'd lose 20 pounds, but... They didn't do anything to create that, right? They didn't establish any eating habits, any exercise habits, nothing that would lead to 20 pounds. I don't know, they just hoped it would happen. They just hoped that like one good dump would knock out 20 pounds. But it's not about hope, it's about habits. See, hope is kind of like the destination, but a habit is the vehicle that takes you to that destination. So I can want to go to like Australia all I want. I can have hopes, right? Like, oh, man, I really hope I get to go to Australia one day. But unless I buy a ticket on a plane or a boat or something to get me to Australia, how many know? I'm not going to go. And too often, we rely on hope without habits. We rely on our, our hopefulness to get to that destination, the idea that one day I can be that, but we don't establish any habits to get us there. It would be the same way if like, hey, what do you want to be when you grow? Well, I, I hope to be a doctor. Great. How are you doing with that? What do you mean? Well, how are your grades right now? I'm a solid D plus. Okay, I pray to God you're never a doctor because I do not want a solid D plus doctor working on me, right? Like, you're just not gonna make it and, and we don't think about the habits that lead up to that. We only think about the final destination. And so these habits, these continual rhythmic things that we do in order to achieve or reach the goals that we have in our hearts is what's going to determine that. And that's true even in the spiritual realm. I'm sure most of us in this room, if not all of us, hope to have a relationship with Jesus 10, 15 years from now. But hope is not going to be enough. It's not just like, oh, well, I, just, I hope I am. What are you doing to ensure that you have a solid, growing relationship with God that exists outside of Excel's youth ministry? And that's why over the years that I've done this, there have been so many people who graduate Excel. They no longer have a small group leader holding their hand. They no longer have Pastor Joey week in, week out talking to them. They no longer have a group of people that are going to call on them and check on them and encourage them. They lose a little bit of this network. And because they never developed healthy habits in the relationship with God, it shrivels away. 
This is why all month we've been harboring about reading your Bible and taking time to worship and growing in prayer and making sure that you establish these biblical and spiritual habits that are going to get you into a strong and powerful relationship with God. And so I'm thinking about all that, and I remember in the Bible a story of a man named Daniel. If you have your Bible, I want to look at Daniel, and we're actually going to go through chapter 1. Because I think Daniel is a great example of someone with strong habits. Not just someone with wishful thinking, not just someone who hoped to stay consistent with God, but someone who did what was necessary in order to grow in that relationship and maintain that relationship with God while others walked away. If you have your Bibles, I want to open this up with some background in the first four verses. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. Listen to what the word of the Lord says. It says, during the third year of King reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. In other words, he took over, he conquered Jerusalem. The Lord gave him victory over King of Judah and permitted him to take uh, some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Aphaz, the chief of staff, to bring palace, uh, to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. So kind of like this boy right here, okay? He said, make sure they are all well-versed in every branch of learning and gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these men in the language and literature of Babylon. <laughs> Let me break down what this is, because, I mean, Babylon, they were smart, okay? When they conquered a nation, they didn't wipe the nation out, because they understood that people are the best natural resource. So they didn't go in and wipe a people out. Even worse, they went in and wiped a people's culture out. They turned them into Babylonians, Instead of just killing them, they said, hey, you know what? How about we take your best and your brightest and we indoctrinate them, we turn them into Babylonians. And the best of the best, we are gonna train them for three years, we are gonna develop them, we're gonna make sure they speak the Babylonian language, we're gonna make sure they read the Babylonian literature, we are going to indoctrinate them so that on the other end, they are no longer Israelites in this case, but they consider themselves Babylonians. Now, why is that important for you and I to understand? Well, we live in the modern-day Babylon, if I can say it like that, where the world isn't trying to wipe you out. They're trying to take you out of your culture, out of your faith. And so instead of proving your God doesn't exist or, or trying to disprove your theology or, or trying to argue any of that, instead of trying to fight you on your faith, they just take you from your faith. They just say, hey, I mean, yeah, Jesus is cool and all, but have you tried this? Man, have you done this? Like, I ain't gonna lie. I've never had alcohol in my life, but alcohol commercials, I'd be like, I'm thirsty all of a sudden. Why? They're really good at it, right? I'm just, I ain't even gonna lie. Like, good job. Like, I've still never done it, but you got me there, right? Because the world is great at making the world seem appetizing. And so what it does is the culture of the world, and when I say the world, I mean everything that's against God, okay? And so the sin of this world, the lust of this world, everything of this world that wants to draw you away from God, it entices you to become more like the world than less like God. 
to speak the language of the world, to read the literature of the world, to act like the people in the world. They take you and they start to shift your your culture, your name, your identity in Christ, and they start to manipulate it so that you no longer associate as a Christian, but you associate as one of them. And this used to be done subtly. Now it's overtly. Now people who are against God are on a mission to turn you out. They're on a mission to get you away from your faith, to deconstruct your faith, to unravel it in such a way that you don't believe it anymore, and to make you believe what they do. And if you don't believe how they believe, if you don't talk how they talk, if you don't act how they act, not only will you be ostracized, not only will you be criticized, but you will be hated on. So there's all this pressure in school. There's all this pressure in our neighborhoods and in our cultures to fall in line with Babylon and not God. So if you see what happens here is the Babylonians take over Israel and they take all the Israelites and they exile them out of there and bring them into Babylon. And then they start to do these changes. And one of those people, or I should say a group of those people, were a man named Daniel and his friends. But the problem was Daniel had what I like to call God habits. He had this consistency and faithfulness in his relationship with God that did not allow him to turn to Babylon. And I want you to understand what God habits can do for you. And if you're taking notes, the first thing is this. God habits have a way of making you resistant. God habits make you resistant. Y'all ever been to the shoe store? Maybe like you're at the mall or something, maybe at the hip, and there's like that kiosk right outside the shoe store with homie and the little spray, you know, that makes your shoes water resistant. You ever seen that guy? And he's like 24-7 doing demos. Yo, my guy, my guy, come here, come here. And he sprays your shoes and he gets a little bottle of water and he throws them on. He's like, oh, you see, you see? I ain't even gonna lie. That stuff's magical. I'm just like, that's dope. Like whatever that is. I ain't never bought it because I'm cheap, but it looks cool, okay? And what is he doing? It's, it's a water resistant chemical what it does is it puts a barrier visible over the material so that when water hits it it beads on it and falls off as opposed to soaking in when you develop godly habits in your life the things of this world don't soak into you they roll off of you because we got to live in this world all right, we, we can't like live in a bubble. We're not gonna just all sleep in Belmont all day long. Like we gotta go out and live into the world. And so the problem is a lot of times when we live into the world, we absorb the world, right? Especially like right now with this snow, depending on the kind of shoes you have, right? You ever had that thing where you accidentally step and then you're like thigh high in snow, you're like super angry. And part of why you're super angry, again, depending on the shoes and the pants you're wearing, it soaks in. So now you're stuck with that. Like it's just wet and cold and nasty and you feel gross and it's just, and you got that wet sock and you know, everywhere you're going and it's the worst feeling. Why? Because it's soaked in. Whereas man, I got this dope winter coat that like is water resistant. And the other day when I was shoveling snow, I was hot, yo, I was sweating. I'm like this coat is too good. Right. And I was leaning. I didn't feel anything. Why? It was resistant. It, See, when you develop good habits with God, you can learn to be resistant to the things of this world. Let's, let's look at Daniel. In verse 5 through 7, listen to what the Bible says. It says, the king assigned them daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. Okay, so you're talking about royalty. Royal food, the best food, the best wine. And they were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter into the royal service. 
Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah were four of the young men chosen from all the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. So here's what's happening, all right? Babylon, they changed your name right off the bat because they're trying to change your culture. They, they, they start to indoctrinate you in these little subtle ways to try to manipulate who you are and to literally change your identity. And one of the things they were doing is, hey, we want to make sure you eat the best food because it's almost like they're literally, literally fattening you up. They want to make you the best they can be so they can use you. And so here they're saying, hey, we want to give them the best food. But Daniel and, and his men, they realize we, we can't eat that food. Okay, there's a few very important religious reasons why. First, uh, there was kosher law. The Israelites in that time had a set of rules that they had to follow when it came to what they ate. And if it wasn't what they considered kosher, to this day, Jewish people try to adhere to kosher eating. Uh, and there's a whole set of rules that determine that. If it wasn't kosher, they weren't allowed to put it into their body. Second, uh, they weren't allowed to eat food that was publicly sacrificed to idols. More likely than not, this food was sacrificed to idols and then brought in and served to the guests. And third, the king's food, it implied uh, friendship, relationship with Babylonian cultural system. Let me explain it like this, especially in the East culture. When you came into a home and they offered you food, when you ate that food, it was a sign of saying, now we're friends. Now we're on the same page. Now we're in unity. There was a beautiful bond in food. I would do really well in Eastern culture, okay? We'd be friends with everybody. But in this day, what they understood is, no, if I eat that food, if I drink that wine, if I partake in that, I'm submitting then to you. I'm telling you that I'm like you are, and I'm not. I'm not a Babylonian. See, he didn't have a problem with them changing his name because he knows, I know my name. I know who I am. You can call me Derek if you want. I know who I am. It doesn't bother me. He didn't have an issue with having to learn the language and learn the literature because they had faith in their God. They learned who God was, and that was the foundation of who they were. So they didn't mind learning other things because they already knew who they were. But if they ate the food, then they were outright sinning against God, and they couldn't afford to do that. And so Daniel looks at him. He's like, yo, that's a No. We cannot do that. And he's trying to tell this guy that he can't do that. And so if you look at verse 8, it says, But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now, you got to understand, for the chief of staff, if these guys don't look well, if they start looking sickly, if, if they're, you know, throwing up or, or, or disheveled because they haven't eaten, he's going to get killed. Like, this is my life. So this isn't an easy ask for him. And again, Daniel didn't object to the name. He didn't object to the education. Uh, he just objected to sinning against God. And so he ends up convincing the chief of staff, and he says, hey, listen, let us just eat fruits and vegetables, okay? And I promise you, if you check in on us, we will look just as healthy as everybody else. Okay? He is willing to sacrifice in order to have that habit of being consistent in his relationship with God and of making sure that he resists the temptations of the enemy. Now, I ain't going to lie. I've done this Daniel fast before or, or for like 10 days. I think I did like two weeks. I only ate fruits and vegetables. And I know some people in our church have done that recently with our 21 days of fasting. 
I am convinced that's why I hate salads. Like, it sucks. Like, just eating fruits and vegetables. Like, I like fruit. Last night, man, I was so proud of myself. I wanted a snack. I had a bowl of strawberries, boy. I was like, look at me, eating all healthy once in my life. Not a habit, but we getting there. And so, you know, it's like this moment where, man, he's, he's doing this. But when you got to do that day in, day out, and it's not like the king's food wasn't good. It was probably the best food they'd ever seen. It was probably the best smelling meats. It was probably the best side dishes, right? It was probably like, they had to have arroz I know Babylonians don't eat that, but let's just pretend they had sofrito, right? Like they had to have good food in that moment. So can you imagine if you're Daniel and the other guys and here they're giving it to you. As a matter of fact, people might die if you don't eat it and yet you have to resist in order to maintain your relationship with God. Why am I bringing that up, man? The world... It's appetizing. The things that it offers you, the way that they make it look, and if you're hungry, it's even more tempting. That's why they tell you never go to the supermarket hungry because you end up buying a bunch of stuff you don't really need. Yo, I walked out the supermarket, we're like, what? I don't even need, I don't know why I I was hungry. When you're hungry, you'll take whatever. You're not resistant to anything. But when you are satisfied in the Lord, You don't need everything else. See, I believe part of how Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were able to withstand all that is because not only were they eating fruits and vegetables, but they were sustained by God. And because God was fulfilling to them, they didn't need to be fulfilled by anything else. Most of the time when we succumb to sin, it's because we feel there's something lacking in our life and we want to fill it with that. While that very thing can be filled by God easy. But because we don't turn to that, instead we turn to the other thing because our eyes draw us in. And, and it happens. I love that it's food is the illustration. Think about how many times you've eaten and you're not even hungry. It just looks good. Like, do you want some? It's like, dude, I just ate. And then they bring it out like, man, maybe like a little bit. Right? Why? Because it just, it just looks good. And so even those of us who are fully satisfied in God, it's easy to be tempted by the lust of this world, by the things that are appetizing, by the stuff that we can see online and the interactions we can have with people and things that are offered to us that we know we shouldn't be doing. And I understand why you would feel that way, but here's what I'm trying to tell you. If you can establish a good habit 10 days, it wasn't just one day, it was 10 days, he showed himself true. See, God habits not only make you resistant, but God habits are able to keep you consistent. They're able to keep you on pace, Listen, I would rather be consistently good than occasionally great, right? I'd rather be consistently good than occasionally great because if I'm consistently good at the end of my days, people will label me as great. But if every now and then I did okay, nobody notices. Consistently good is always gonna be better than occasionally great. Consistency is what you wanna be marked by, okay? What, who cares, right, like in school? You got an A on the first test, but you failed all the rest. Is that better than you just got C's on all the tests? No, C's are, you were consistent at least. You weren't the best, but you didn't fail the class. Whereas if you got an A on the first test, but failed all the other tests, you still got an F. And some of y'all be like, but uh, you know, I got A on that first test. (laughs) Who cares, homie? That test was long ago. And some of us, listen, well, uh, you know, I used to do this for God and I used to do that for God and I used to serve in this thing. It's like, okay, that's great. What are you doing now though? 
Had a friend of mine one time, he was visiting the church. He came to Excel with me when I was a kid. And uh, at the time, I had just become the youth pastor. And so I was talking about how he would go on mission trips with us and how he would do this with us. And he was talking about all the things he used to do. And one of our students was like, well, if you used to do all that, how come you don't do anything for God now? Because I love teenagers and they have no filters. And he was like, um, um, um. I was like, yeah, homie, how come you don't do anything for God now? <laughs> Consistency is what you want. Listen, Daniel chapter one, verse 11 through 16. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. Daniel said, at the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young man who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food wine provided for the others. Consistency is where the proof lies. Not just a one-time thing. This world will respect you when you're consistent in what you say. When you say you're a believer, when you tell them you have a relationship with God, they may not believe it and they may not even acknowledge it and they may not honor it unless they saw it consistently in your life. So saying no one time isn't consistency. Not doing that bad thing one time isn't consistency. I'm not saying it's not good. I'm just saying it's not consistent. So don't be surprised when nobody respects your walk with God because it's not consistent enough to warrant respect. But when you are consistent in it, when you are always ready on that, when you can set your watch to that, then people start to build success. And notice this, unbelievers were willing to risk their lives and feed them just vegetables and water. Why? Because they proved themselves in their consistency. For 10 days, not one day, not four days, not five days. He said 10 days, they checked 10 days. 10 days was good. And 10 days gave them many years of being consistent in this aspect. Man, my prayer is not that you would be great in your high school days, but that you would consistently walk with God all the days of your life. I've used this illustration with our leaders because you know, often I'm trying to encourage them to stay consistent uh, but there was a baseball player way back in the day before most of your time named Cal Ripken Jr. And Cal Ripken Jr. in the Hall of Fame, great player, but he doesn't have the home run record. He wasn't the best pitcher. He wasn't the best fielder. He doesn't really have any major stats that he's the best of except for one. His nickname was Iron Man. He has the record for most consecutive games without ever missing one which was upwards, I think it was like 1,400 plus games without ever missing one. On the day of his retirement, he received the longest standing ovation on record, 22 minutes. For 22 minutes, a stadium full of people stood and applauded a man because he was consistent, because you showed up every day. Listen, you may not be the best student here, you may not be the most spiritual, the most talented, or whatever you want to label it, but I'd rather run with those that are consistent than with those that are flaky. I'd rather know that you're here week in, week out, that you show up, that you try, that you're giving it everything you got, because I can bank on consistency. I can't bank on flakiness. Some of the, and I say this to the leaders often, and I'll say it to you. I don't care how talented you are. 
Availability matters so much more than ability. Who cares if you're the best basketball player in the school, but you never show up to practice or games? Oh, we got the best player in the country. Really? Does he play every game? Nah. He only plays twice a year. But man, do we win those games. <laughs> like, who cares? I'd rather have the most average player in the world who played every week, who showed up every night. Here's the thing. When you can be consistent in your walk with God, People believe that you're genuine about that walk. And when people believe your genuine walk, the crazy thing is they'll start to defend you. Growing up, it was my unbelieving friends that defended my faith more than anybody else. It was my unbelieving friends. When we would be at a party and somebody would try to offer me alcohol, it would be my unbelieving friends saying, no, Joey don't drink. And literally people would be like, what are you, his dad? Bro, he don't drink. And I'm like, it's cool. He's like, no, no, you don't drink, Joey. Okay, I don't drink. And then I literally would have friends that would get in other people's faces like, I will fight you. Why? Because I respect who he is. I don't even agree with what he does. But because he's been consistent since we were kids, I respect him for it. You want to see the world respect you? Be consistent. As opposed to you go to church on Thursday night, but then you're doing all the things they're doing. You're getting high with them on Saturday. Now when you're like, hey, man, you want to go to church with me this week? It's like, you go to church? <laughs> Seriously? And a lot of times we're like, nobody takes me seriously. Well, when you start taking your walk with God seriously, then they'll start taking your walk with God seriously. When you are marred by consistency, then they will follow that consistency. Are you feeling me tonight? You hear me? So you got this, these things, right? <laughs> habits develop resistance. Good habits develop consistent. And good God habits leave you triumphant. Okay, God habits will make you resistant, God habits will help you be consistent, and God habits will leave you triumphant. Meaning what? Meaning you'll succeed at what you're trying to do. Meaning you will be good at it, not just today, but in the long run. Daniel chapter one, verse 17 through 20, says God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. He made them smarter than everybody else. I love the word unusual there. This wasn't normal. They shouldn't have been this good. But he gave them an unusual aptitude for literature and wisdom. God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed them as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them 10 times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Man, if you can learn to be triumphant through your habits, good study habits, well, how does that help my relationship with God? Well, what if your good study habits lead to good grades, which lead to a good position, which leads you to a place of authority and influence, which leads you to be able to impact the kingdom of God in a way that nobody else can because you are consistent in your habits. Because let me tell you something, a call from God is not just what I do. A call for God is whatever he calls you to do. And for some of you, man, God has called you, like Daniel and his friends, to places of influence in the Babylonian culture 
to places of influence where some of you are going to rise up to be aldermen, to be politicians, to be uh, CEOs, to be CFOs, to be people of influence, to be influencers online, to be able to draw people to God because you were consistent, you were resistant, and eventually you were triumphant and doing everything God called you to do. But that doesn't happen with hope. It doesn't happen with wishing that maybe one day I'll get there. It happens with putting one foot in front of the other every single day, being consistent in every little thing so that you can maintain that journey that God calls you on. The food thing, that was little. It wasn't a major thing. But it's the little things that add up to major things. It's the little things that'll get you to where you're trying to go on your big journey. And if you can learn to, uh, to establish good and healthy habits, that will lead you to the destination that God has called you to go. And there's too many people that justify their laziness because they had good intentions. They justify their laziness by saying, well, I hope that I would do this. And I love hope. But hope's not going to get you there on its own. Hope is the destination. The habits that you establish in your life today are what will eventually lead you to or away from that destination. Are you feeling me tonight? You guys hearing me? This is so important for you today because there's a lot of people that are much older than you that say, man, I wish I could have established a habit then. I wish I would have done better in school. I wish I would have listened to my parents. I wish I would have served more in youth ministry. I wish I would have been a better student. I wish, see, because this is what happens. When all you have is hope, all you end up with is wishing. But when you develop a habit, that's a recipe for success. You will be successful in everything God calls you to because at every turn, you are habitually following what God called you to do. Because that's what a habit is. It's doing it over and over again. It's not just passing the test once, it's passing it repeatedly. It's not just trying once, it's trying repeatedly. And along those days and along those lines, you might mess up. You might not totally make it the way you think you wanna make it, and that's okay. Because when you have consistency, when you have habits that are gonna help you develop that, even when you mess up, you have somewhere to keep going from. You don't have to start right back at the beginning because you've established enough healthy habits that you know how to pick up where you left off. See, healthy habits, they make you resistant, they keep you consistent, and they lead you to being triumphant. It's a recipe for success. It's a recipe to be everything God called you to be. Hope alone is really just wishful thinking. Daniel and his friends developed and maintained habits that kept them in Babylon while keeping them from becoming of Babylon. Let me explain that. The Bible tells us that we are called to be in the world, but not of the world. And that can be hard to understand sometimes. So let me break it down for you in the easiest way that I get it. How many know what a boat's for, right? What a boat's for. Where are boats meant to go? Water. Boats are meant to go on the water, right? What's not meant to go in a boat? Water. So boat on water, water in boat, okay? That's the key, right? Same thing with you and I. We are meant to go into the world and be on that person, on mission. We are not allowed or meant to have the world be in us. 
Because the more of the world that's in you, the less the boat is even visible. And some of us are so full of the world that no one could see the boat out there. And there is a whole sea of people drowning, waiting for a boat to come by that sunk 100 yards before it ever got to them because it allowed the world to get in it. And now you're in the same situation as the person who was drowning. God has called you and I to be the hope of the world. And it's our habits that will bring that hope to them. So I get to be part of this boat. And I got to get people into my boat and out of that water. I can't do that if I'm in the water with them. You feeling me tonight? I, I got to be on my mission. I got to be about my father's business. I got to make sure that I am successful in what I'm doing. And just like Daniel and his friends, man, they, think about this. Like, this isn't like just a story. This is what happened to these guys. Their entire nation is wiped out. They are taken from their homeland as slaves to be brought into another country. They are being indoctrinated and emboldened and their faith is trying to be ripped up out of them. And it would be easy and even justifiable for them to just say, man, whatever. You know, I could just be a Babylonian. I'm smart enough. I can live a comfortable life. I can be successful in Babylon. And who cares? God abandoned me. I'll abandon him. But they knew that God never abandoned them. And so they chose to never abandon God. And if you keep going in this story, right at the end in verse 21, it says, Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. Whenever you read the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, and they mention dates like that, the, the reign of this king or it was in the year of that king, part of why they're doing that is to give you a timeline so that you could trace back in history when this happened. And what this timeline tells us is that Daniel was in the service of the king for a span of about 70 years. 70 years he spent in Babylon. The entire time that the Israelites were under Babylonian captivity, Daniel was in a place of authority. Daniel was in a place to help his people out. Daniel was in a place to be a voice for the voiceless. Daniel was in a place to help. Daniel outlasted so many things. Throughout those 70 years, there were several different kings, different people who took over different parts. Daniel outlived them. There was backstabbing politicians, even some that schemed their way into getting Daniel thrown into a lion's den, and yet Daniel literally outlived them because when the lion's mouths were shut by God, those politicians were then thrown in and eaten by those very lions. Daniel outlasted even Babylon's hold over Israel. Why? Because he maintained his established habits, and he was resistant, he was consistent, and eventually he was triumphant. It's a recipe for a good life. It's a recipe to be able to do all that God called you to do, all because he was able to turn hope into habits. I'm sure when he was captured by the Babylonians, that he hoped one day we would be free. It took 70 years, but if he only had hope, he wouldn't have made it those 70 years. I'm sure when everything happened, he hoped to go back to Jerusalem. It took longer than that, but eventually Jerusalem is rebuilt. I'm sure he's struggling and he's, and he's hurting. I'm sure in the moment that all this is going down, Daniel's got a whole lot of feelings going on, and I'm sure hope was one of them. But I think he understood that hope alone wasn't going to get him back. 
that it was going to be trusting in the Lord and being consistent. And here's the truth. Healthy habits, they're great. They're important. But they have to be on God, not on us. Because if you read that story, they were faithful to their part, so God was faithful in his part. God was the one who gave them unusual giftings, unusual abilities for wisdom and to comprehend literature, unusual abilities to interpret dreams. God was the one that gave them favor. God was the one who sustained them throughout those 10 days of testing to make sure that eating vegetables and water is going to be able to sustain them. It was God who made sure that they looked healthy and strong. So don't get it twisted. Habits, even those in and of itself, isn't what's going to do it. It's God through those habits that's going to get you there. And at the end of the day, all credit, all glory is always going to go to God because there are a lot of people in the world who have great habits and know God. So when you bring it all together, when you have hope in God and habits that are established by God, then you get to where God is calling you to go. So I'm going to ask you to stand tonight as we close. Pastor Jason, maybe you can help me out a little bit. I want you to take a moment and maybe just close your eyes for a second. I'm not going to bop you on the head or anything. I just want you to hear me out for a second. I'm wondering tonight, what have you been hoping for? We all have hopes in this room. Some of us hope to achieve certain goals. Some of us hope to not feel certain ways anymore. Maybe there's anxiety, maybe there's depression, maybe there's suicidal thoughts. Some of us hope to be better than what we've seen in our past, to break generational curses in our family. Some of us hope to get over some deep scars and wounds that we've endured. Some of us hope to make better decisions in relationships and in the men and women that we date. Some of us hope to get closer to God and be more like who God called us to be. We all have hopes in this room. Every one of us have something that we're hoping for. And again, don't misunderstand me. Hope is a good thing if it's followed up with habits and if it's instilled in God. If you just hope in and of yourself on your own, all that is is wishful thinking. If your hope is to get over past trauma and hurt, then you need to establish healthy habits that are gonna draw you closer to God, the one who can heal you from those past trauma and hurts. If your hope is to no longer struggle with depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, then you need to establish healthy habits in God that are going to lead you into the peace that surpasses all understanding. That might lead you into the right medication. That might lead you into the right therapy. That might lead you into a supernatural healing. If you're going to hope to have a better relationship with God, then you need to turn to God to give you the habits to be consistent in your daily devotionals, in your reading of God's word, in your prayer, in your individual worship. It's got to take work to get there. If you hope to achieve success and the dreams that you feel God has given you, then you need to surrender those dreams to the Lord. Trust him with it and follow every step that he's guiding you on. And listen, you can't follow his steps if you're not talking to him. Hope is great when it's placed in the right person. So I want to pray for whatever those hopes are. But before I do, I just need you to understand 
that you are hopeless without first having a relationship with God. We can't even begin to pray for that hope when you don't have a relationship with the one who gives it. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, no one's looking around. This is just between you and God. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to make you stand out or anything. I just want to pray with you. The Bible is clear that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord, then you are saved. And even if you walked away from God, even if it's been a hot minute since you've even prayed or talked to God, my God is the kind of God who will always bring you back into his hands. When there's repentance, meaning you want to turn away from the bad things you're doing and you want to turn back to God. So whether this is the first time you've ever made that decision or maybe it's just, man, I haven't been doing it. I haven't been living it. I was just hoping that one day I'd get to heaven, but I understand now that hope in and of itself is not enough. If you want to get right with God and you want to have a relationship with God, before I pray for everybody else, I want to pray for you. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you, just lift up your hand right where you're at and I'll include you in that prayer. Thank you, bro. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Anyone else? That's me, Pastor. Would you pray for me? Thank you, sweetie. Thank you, bro. Anyone else? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you saw every hand that was lifted. God, I thank you that they were honest and transparent, not just with themselves, but with you. And God, we don't want to do this just to check off some box in our religious list. We don't want to do this just so we can feel good tonight and and feel guilty in the morning. We don't want to do this just to be religious, God. We want to do this because it's the beginning of a real and genuine relationship with you. One that's not built on wishful thinking, but on hope in a God who loves us, who himself has shown himself to be resistant to sin, consistent in our love for us, and triumphant on the cross. So Father, even now I pray for every hand that was raised, would you wash away their sin, God? Would you give them a blank slate, Lord, a clean slate? Would you make them fresh and new in Jesus' name? Forgive them of everything they've done up to this point, God. I pray that even now in this moment, they would be a new creation in you, Christ Jesus. And Father God, I pray that from this moment on, they would develop the type of habits, the type of consistency that will lead to a triumphant relationship with you. Father, I pray that you would draw them in to this local body where we can come alongside them and help them and lead them into a deeper relationship with you. But Lord, I pray that they would take the responsibility of their own walk to make sure that they draw closer to you every single day. And Lord, I also pray for the rest of us in this room, God, those of us who already have a relationship with you. Lord, I pray for these two groups, for the hopes that you've placed on our hearts, God for the hopes of things to come, for the hopes of things in our past. Lord, whatever it is that we've been hopeful for, God, I pray that you have helped us understand that we need to establish habits to get us there. That we're not gonna lose 100 pounds overnight and in the same way, we're not gonna get rid of 100 pounds of pain, of sin, of regret, of hurt in one night. But Lord, you are consistent with us. You are able to strengthen us and help us. And so, Lord, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you lead us to that next stage, God? Would you help us and tell us what kind of habits we need to establish? Lord, we know some of the common ones that we've been repeating week after week. But, Lord, I pray for any specific thing that an individual needs to know, that you would speak to their lives, God. 
And not only would you speak to them, Lord, I pray that you would open doors for them. The same way you opened doors for Daniel and his friends, God, the same way you gave them unusual giftings, the same way you made sure they were healthy and strong, the same way you ensured that Daniel would have 70 years of successful ministry within Babylon. God, I pray that you would do what only you can do in our lives and that you would help us to do what you called us to do, to follow you in that. We thank you, Lord, for your word, and we thank you for the grace to follow through with it. And we pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone here said, amen. Come on, would y'all give God a hand clap of praise? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hey, listen, we're going to be sticking around. Our leaders are going to be here. If you want to talk to anybody about maybe something that God brought up during the message or if you're looking for more answers or like I said, if you want to talk to me about some of the things that are going to be happening in the future, just let us know. We're going to stick around for a few minutes. God bless you. We love you. Keep in mind, uh, we're going to have small groups starting probably next week, I think. Are my calendar right, February? Yeah, so next week, we're going to be starting small groups, so make sure that you start getting yourself ready for Fridays again. God bless you. I love you. We'll see you Sunday. Hey, FYI, I'm preaching Sunday, so why don't y'all come out and support your boy. I could really use y'all help. God bless you. We love you.